If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, we're only going to be looking at three verses today. And that's we're starting at. We're going to be in other places as well. But as you turn there, I just want to talk about the ways that you become part of somebody's family. Uh, as far as I know, there are three ways to become part of somebody's family. Yes, there is a fourth way, and that's, bec- that's the way that somebody just says, hey, why don't you become one of us. You know, my kids have kind of adopted, you know, Kurt and Sharon as grandparents. When I, when we moved to Davenport, we didn't have grandparents that were close by. We adopted them. We just said, Hey, you're our grandparents. Hey, you're my, my brother and sister. Um, this last weekend, I was kind of hoping not this last weekend. Um, my weekend, because my weekend's a lot longer than yours. <laughs> Uh, we, we went out to the Langs house. Whenever the kids show up, uh, we get invited out there for dinner, and we feel like we're just one of the family. Are we really? No. We, we don't have the same last name. We don't have anything. When, when there's presents passed out, we're not involved in that. But we do get invited out as if we're one of the family. But those are just, that's the fourth way. The three main ways that you become part of the family is first biologically, which I'm not going to try to explain that. I think everybody understands how that process works. But that's at least, most families have at least one biological parent. There's the foster system, which is what we have with Grayson and Gavin. We have them for a time, and they are going to go back home to their families. And then there's this something called adoption, which is something that my parents chose to do to my little sister when she was three uh, years old. And it was a very special thing in her life, but she became one of us. She has the same last name, even though she looks nothing like us. So those are the three main ways. So I want to kind of compare and contrast these different ways of, of what it means to be part of somebody's family. So biological and adoption, that's pretty much those kind of go hand in hand compared to the foster system. So the first thing, if you didn't know, if you if you have a biological kid or if you adopt somebody, you have to pay for everything that your child needs. If they need a new coat, if they need new shoes, if they go to the dentist, guess what? Mom and dad, you guys know this, and if you've adopted, you know this as well, that kid is your responsibility and you pay for them. When you do a foster care system, you get paid. The government covers some of those medical expenses. If if Gavin or Grayson needed their teeth cleaned, we wouldn't have to pay for that. They would go, and the, the state would pay for it. Now, I say we get paid. It's a whole dollar and eight an hour per kid. So that's, uh, if you want to do the math, if you get bored with what I'm saying, a dollar eight per hour, you can figure out it's like $26, $27 a day, which we're not doing it for the money, so it's, it's just a bonus. But you get paid to watch kids. Uh, biological adoption. It's a permanent arrangement, right? Most parents, you have kids, you plan to keep them. No one, Caleb, they're at, at my parents' house or at camp right now. Our goal is to keep them as our kids. When you adopt somebody, the goal is to keep them as your own. Foster kids, it's temporary. Uh, we have these kids for six to eight weeks, uh, but it's, it's something that eventually we're going to have to say goodbye. Sometimes it feels like we get to say goodbye. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter what you do. You, you invest in them. You get them shoes, Leslie's potty training. Uh, but at some point, they're not yours anymore. They go right back to the situation that they came on or that they came from. It's temporary. Uh, biological and adoption. You have a sense of belonging. I've always felt like a McLaughlin. I've always felt like my parents' kids because I am. I have the same last name. I grew up in that house. They're the only people who have ever raised me. 
My sister who's adopted feels like one of the family. She came at, uh, it's kind of an amazing story, um, but she came to us at, when she was three days old. And believe this or not, um, I, was, I was playing soccer, which that's probably not too hard to believe, but I was at practice and my coach had a three-year-old daughter. And I thought, man, I would love to have a little sister. Guess what I had when I went home? I had a little sister. It was only supposed to be for two weeks, but it turned into a whole lifetime. Uh, but she has a sense of belonging, even though she doesn't look like us, because she has a family. When you have the foster system, you don't really have that sense of a belonging anywhere. Now, Gavin and Grace, and they don't understand this right now. Now, we, we take them with us on vacation. Uh, everybody who we see, they say, are they twins? They look cute. We don't say, no, these are our foster kids. This is their last name, which I have no idea even what it is. Uh, we just treated them like they're our kids. Uh, we went to Sandstone, and there's a couple of boys that were out fishing, and one kid caught a pike, like, two feet long. I mean, I went like this, and that's like nine inches, about nine inches. And I said, hey, I'd like my wife and my kids to see these, or to see this fish. I didn't say these are my foster kids. I just said, these are my kids, really. For what this kid knows, they're my kids. So they have kind of the sense of a belonging. But I had three foster sisters growing up, and they, they, uh, they were with us for several years, but they didn't feel like they belonged because they had a different last name. My parents wanted to adopt them, but the mother said no. And so they went through the whole life. One that was six years old went till she was 18 years old with a different last name, never feeling like she truly fit in because she had a different last name. One more, one more is that biological and adopted kids, you treat them like they are your own kids. If you want to give your kid a haircut, guess what you do? You get out the scissors and you give them a haircut. If they need a little discipline, you can give them a little discipline. Guess what you do with uh, foster kids? Can I give your kid a haircut? I can't discipline them the same way. You pick them up. You have way more patience. You just sit them in their little bed for the day or for the, for, you know, for the time out. But it's completely different. And when you become part of God's family, it's not a biological situation. Because God didn't get together with some goddess mother and say, hey, let's have a bunch of kids and put them on this earth. And so we're just naturally God's children. That's not how it worked. When God has becoming part of his family, it's not a foster system type of situation where God says, you know what, I'm going to watch this and see if I really want this. Because a lot of times when you go from the, the kids who go from the foster care system to the adopted situation, they're in that home for a long time. And the parents and the, the, the foster system actually wants you to have these kids for a long time to determine. Do you really want these kids? And God's not like that. He doesn't say, I'm going to wait and see how Josh reacts here as a temporary child, and then I'll decide. It, you become a child of God, and it's an adoptive situation. It's a permanent situation, and it's something that God is not going to decide later on, I don't want this anymore. That's how it is when God adopts us. Uh, we, we, and we're going to look today at what does adoption mean. We're going to look at a little bit about what are our rights and our responsibilities as an adopted child of God. Before we do, I'd really like to pray again and ask God's blessing on this. God, I do thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you chose or you allowed me to be your child. God, you, you didn't wait till I was perfect. You didn't wait till... Um, I was worthy, God. You just said, you know what, Josh, you have a little faith. I'm going to trust, uh, you're trusting me to be your Savior, so I'm going to save you. And so I thank you for that. God, I just pray again that this comes out with your words and your clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So number, point number one is that we are the children of God. First John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, How great is the love of the Father that He has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Now as John is writing this, He's not writing to every single person in that church unless they are truly a child of God. Because like I said a few minutes ago, being human does not make you a child of God. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um, you have to be an adopted child of God. It's a decision that you have to make or that God has chosen on your behalf to say you are going to be my child. Now, adoption is the legal process by which someone leaves their own natural family to become a part of another family with all its rights and responsibilities. And when a judge, I've been to one adoption ceremony where uh, my wife's brother and had some kids that they adopted and the judge once he lays that gavel down it's a done deal that kid is now 100 percent considered my brother-in-law's kid with all the, the goods and all the bads all the rights and the responsibility that kid is now a row so it doesn't matter if his son gets out there and i can picture this his son takes his dad's pickup and goes for a joyride driving through spokane ends up on the front page embarrasses the whole family just that kind of kid i can picture that guess what that kid is still going to be my brother's kid if that kid his 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 own son grows up to be a millionaire which i could see that happening uh they're still part of the same family no matter what they do because they're a child of god God is the same way. You become part of his family. No matter what you do, you are part of his family. He's not going to return you. He's not going to unadopt you. He says, you are my child from now and forever, uh, no matter what you do. And I'm thankful for that because I make a lot of mistakes and I, and I need God's, a lot of God's forgiveness. So as a child of God, you get all the rights and all the re responsibilities of a, an adopted child of God. One of those is found in Romans 8.17. It says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, my sister Bethany, uh, we got her when she was three days old. Uh, when, when, someday when my parents die, now instead of, of splitting this very vast amount of $10, uh, three ways, instead of getting $3.33, I'm going to get $2.50. Because she is an equal co-heir of what my parents have to give. She's going to get a whole quarter of, of whatever it is that there is left to give. Uh, because she is an adopted part of our family. We don't say, no, you're lesser because you're adopted. We say, no, welcome on in. You get your fair share. And when we, when we get to heaven, we are co-heirs with Christ. We get to share in his glory. Uh, we get to be treated as God's sons. We get God's favor forever. Think about people who don't go to heaven. Guess what they get? They don't get God's favor. They get eternity in hell forever and ever. And nobody wants that. So being a child of God, you get to become an heir, a co-heir with Christ. And what does that really mean? What's that really look like? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. You're going to be a co-heir with Christ if you put your faith in Jesus for salvation. And what are you going to get? You let your imagination run wild. Just not right now. Let your imagination run wild. And it's, going, it's not going to be good enough. God's going to have so much better for us. And it's going to be something that we don't deserve because we were adopted into his family. Now, I wanted, to, I wanted you to think here for a second about God adopting people into his family. 
What kind of people does God adopt into his family? Now, uh, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you think about sinners, and you think about this term when we say, oh yeah, everybody's a sinner. Everybody does wrong things. It's not really, that doesn't really sound that bad because we know we're all lumped into the same group. Uh, but what, think about it in terms of this. And 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11a. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, you, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says those guys, kinds of people aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. But he says in verse 11, and that is what some of you were. Some of us, I mean, everybody falls into some category in this list. Uh, if we're a slander, if we're a drunkard, if we are adulterer, whatever it is, we all fit into that category. That's the kind of person that God says, I want that person to be part of my family. Now, how many people here say, I want somebody like that to be part of my family? I don't really want a slander to be part of my family. I don't want a drunkard to be part of my family because we have the same family name. And whatever they do is going to impact my reputation. But at the same time, whatever I do is going to impact somebody else's reputation. And think about it in a much bigger picture. Whatever we do as Christians impacts God's reputation. And God knows that. And he says, I want that person to be part of my family. I'm going to adopt that person, even though they may do the worst, awfulest thing, that I want them to be part of my family as well. And why does God do that? Why does God want anybody to be part of his family? Well, it's not because he felt sorry for me. Uh, you know, if you, if you feel sorry for a puppy or a kitten, you might adopt a puppy or a cat and bring it home and, and try to survive this animal because you feel sorry for it. But you don't adopt people because you feel sorry for them. They, they, they have a mind of their own. They make decisions that they want. They're going to make you look bad. They're going to hurt you. Uh, they're going to do good things. But you don't adopt somebody because you feel bad. That commitment is way too big. So why does God do this? It says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. It's because of God's great love that he says, I want Josh. I want the guy who's talking up there in front of Plevenet Baptist Church to be part of my family because I have this love that's unfathomable, that's amazing, that's uncomprehendable for Josh. I want him to be part of my family. And I, and I think about, uh, I look at my own life, even if there's nobody else in this room, all I do is I think about me and I think about, you know what, I don't know why God wants me to be part of his family. You might look and say, well, Josh, you're the guy who's getting up there talking. You're the pastor. whoop de doo I look at my life and say, I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. I don't always have a good attitude. I was going to uh, pass out a praise. I probably would have remembered if Todd was here. Uh, but our Honda Pilot, uh, we were going to take it on vacation. And so I got a towing package, harnessing package. And uh, I decided on Friday night, or no, I guess a couple nights ago, that I was going to put this thing together, put it in the car. And guess what? It didn't work. And I was mad. I was thinking, God, I prayed for your help here. How come this thing isn't working? I had a crummy attitude. Leslie's like, let's calm down, Josh. And so I, I did. The next day, uh, I called Todd because I was still trying to figure this out. I said, Todd, can you just come over and give me a couple minutes? Because he was coming through 
uh, Plovna, and he stopped by and said, like, hey, you got to put a fuse, which I did. I tried to put a fuse, but there's two fuse boxes. And so I'm sticking it in the wrong one, everything fused, and I keep trying the blinkers, nothing is working. And finally, Todd's like, it goes in here. And he helped me make a few little changes that I didn't even start with. And here I was mad at God because he didn't help me. And it was my fault. And God says, I love Josh anyway. And that's an amazing love that God has for me that he shouldn't have. I don't deserve that kind of love. That kind of love is amazing. And God's love is the same for everybody. Everybody's life matters. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement. I got... Uh, and I didn't. I did not open up my mouth when I could have. We talked. We talked about Sunday school. When do you open up your mouth and when don't you? I was about. I was in this iffy, iffy stage. Uh, but the truth is, is Black Lives Matter. But so do white lives matter and yellow lives and red lives. Everybody's life matters. This person who is telling me this Black Lives Matters things, I want to say, you know, God created man in his image. It wasn't a certain color in his image. It was everybody. Uh, you think about people with different lifestyles, the LBGQ and every other letter you can throw with that. Guess what? Those lives matter to God. He doesn't agree with that lifestyle, but I just told you God doesn't agree with my lifestyle all the time either. Those lives matter to God. Uh, whatever age people are, you got a little baby back there, or the ones in the nursery, they don't have a clue what is going on. We're in this big building. There's lots of people. This guy won't shut up. God cares about those lives. The person who's in the nursing home who sleeps like 90% of the day, God cares about those lives as well. Even the guy in death row, that is not going to get out, that all he's got is a few hours or a few days left before he dies, God cares about those lives. Why? Why does he do that? It's because of his great love that he does it. It's not because any of us are worthy or deserving of that. He says, I'm going to love you in spite of yourself. God loves those people. We have this message. Guess what we should do with this? We should try to share this message with them because God loves them as well. So let me ask you a question. Are you a child of God? Because you don't become one biologically. God's not going to foster you. He's not going to say, hey, Josh, you seem like a good guy. Why don't you come over for dinner and count as part of my family? There's only one way to do it. Galatians 3.26 says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Are you a child of God? Have you put your faith in Jesus for salvation and become a part of his child? If you say no, I want to ask you why not. Do you say because I'm too bad, because I've done too many wrong things? James 2.10 says, if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. You're, you're just as guilty to go to hell doing this one thing as if you just blatantly chose to do everything. You deserve the same punishment. So you can't say that I'm too bad, that I've done enough wrong things, because you haven't. You could say, you know, it's really too late for me. Uh, when we first moved to Plevna, uh, one of Leslie's things that she likes to do is make Christmas goodies, which is great. I love it. But then I have to be the messenger boy, which I don't, <laughs> I don't really like. But I went to a neighbor's house, and the wife was trying to explain to the husband who I was. He doesn't, wasn't really, he didn't care who I was um, until she said that I'm the pastor. And he goes, oh, I'm too late. This guy's like 35 years old. He says, it's too late for me. And I was just like, wait a second. I said, it's never too late for you. As long as you are breathing, you can put your faith in Jesus for salvation. He, it, there's nothing that you've done that is so bad that says oh, too much. 
God is willing to forgive. As long as you still have breath, you can make that decision. If you say, I don't believe it, let's have a talk. Let me know what you don't believe. Let's don't just say I don't believe it. Uh, while we were on vacation, Leslie's talking to her ex stepmother's husband, and she's trying to share the gospel. And all he's doing is coming up with all these excuses and all these excuses. And we're trying to talk through these things and try to answer these questions. This guy just does not want it. He doesn't want to believe it. We we spent some time trying. If you say I don't believe it torpedo me with questions. Let's see if we can figure out what you what you need to understand so that you're willing to make Jesus as part of your family. So we are, number one, we are all God's family. Well, the potential is there by putting your faith in Jesus. Number two, is if you are part of God's family, you are not going to be accepted by the world. It sounds all great and good. Yes, I'm adopted. I'm a part of God's family. But it doesn't sound such like such great news that the world's going to reject you. But it's true. Verse 2 says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God. Oops, let me let me back up here for a second. Verse 1 still. It says, The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Back in John's day, people did not accept Him. They did not accept the believers. Uh, ultimately, John ends up uh, on an island of Patmos. Uh, because he was a Christian, because he wasn't re, uh, he wasn't accepted as being a Christian. They didn't accept Jesus then. The world does not want to accept Jesus now. First Corinthians one eighteen says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. People who hear about Jesus and they don't want it, they think this is foolishness. Yeah, right. There's some big guy in the sky sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins, and he's in control of all this. They just won't buy it." Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They won't, they're not willing to accept Jesus. There is no way they're going to accept you if you are a follower of Jesus. There's just no way without Jesus' intervention, they cannot do that. If you are going to live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to be hated. I realize that it looks a little smaller than I thought it was going to. John 15, verses 18 to 20. says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now that sounds, when I, when I read that, it's like, that's a matter of fact kind of thing. That if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. But it sounds so sterile. It sounds like there's no feelings in that. But if you've ever been persecuted for your faith, wait a second. You're going, though, this is where the rubber's meeting the road. I don't like this. It is painful to have people not like you. Um, It's hard to be rejected by family who don't like the stand that you're taking for your faith. Your flesh and blood, your biological family want to turn their back on you. And that happens. And if you make a stand for your faith they don't agree on, that might happen to you as well. It's painful to be left out. All my friends that used to be my friends all of a sudden don't want anything to do with me. If you've, if you've ever experienced that, that doesn't feel good. That's a, a form of persecution. It hurts to be persecuted because people don't like what you believe. Why can't they just leave me alone? Why can't I just believe what I believe and you believe? But if you're going to live a godly life, it is not going to be easy. The world's going to reject you. It is You are going to be persecuted. A lot of people try to do this hybrid thing. You know, hybrid is like gas and electric on a car. You get a little bit of both no matter what you're okay. Uh, they want to live the hybrid Christian life. I have my 
this shoe planted in heaven because I want eternal life, but I have this shoe planted on earth because I want people to like me. You can't live the hybrid Christian life. It is not possible. You're, you're going to be black or you're going to be white. You're going to be uh, left. You're going to be right. You're going to be up. You're going to be down. There are two different things. You can't be loving God and loving the world at the same time. So you're going to have to make a choice. Do I want God to be happy, who, who sacrificed his son, who adopted me, no matter all the terrible, awful things I've done? Or do I want to live in this world and try to make that happy, which is never going to happen anyway? So first of all, we are the children of God through faith in Jesus. Second is, if you're going to be a child of God, you're going to be rejected by the world. The third, the children of God will be transformed. Verse 3. It says... No, I'm sorry, I got my verse 2. It says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm going to get a new body. I don't know about you, but I've already put in my order for what I want. A little few more inches, a few more muscles, a little bit more hair. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to look like Samson. Okay? But I'm going to get a new, brand new body that's, that's, that's not going to hurt, that's not going to ache, that's going to be the best that my body can be. And I imagine I'm just going to look like the best version of myself. And you guys have not seen that. But, so it might be hard to, to believe, but I, I think we're all going to have the best version of, what our, of our original selves. But ultimately, we're going to be like Jesus. When we see him, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. Uh, to, to be like means to resemble, to be, a, to be like, to have a like manner. This doesn't mean that we're all going to be little gods running around heaven or around the universe in charge of our own earth and our own skies. Uh, but we're going to be um, a couple of different things that we're going to have because we're made like God. First is that we are going to have a new heavenly body. It says, but, we, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. This is like reading an eyeglass test. We'll transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. My body is going to be glorious like God's, like Jesus' heavenly body is glorious. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verses 49 to 50. Talks a little bit about this. It says, And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. My body here on earth is made of flesh and blood. It's got some muscle on it. It's got some bones. This body cannot survive up in heaven. So God says, I'm going to give Josh a brand new body that is prepared, that is made for the eternity. Uh, it's, a, it's a new glorified body that is suited for heaven. And as soon as we see Jesus, that's when we're going to get it. Verse 51 says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. When I see Jesus, boom, I'm getting this new heavenly body that's suited for heaven. No more arthritis in, my, in your joints. I won't need glasses anymore. If you're wearing hearing aids, if you get out of bed like, like getting off the floor and everything just hurts and that's all there is to it, that's not going to be there. Everything you used to be able to do when you were young, the kids take for granted because they can do it no matter what, you're going to be able to do that in your brand new body. You will be perfect. 
You're not going to have any failures. You're not going to have any sins. You're never going to take this big foot and stick it right in your mouth because you said something that you shouldn't have said. You're never going to apologize. You're not going to have regrets on anything that you say. You're going to, it's going to be perfect. You're going to be transformed. It's going to be something that's beyond what you can imagine. And that's something that God wants to give you. That's one of the benefits of being a child of God. As you get eternity in heaven with Jesus forever in a brand new, foreverly perfect body. You get a new car, it gets a dent or a scratch. It starts to run kind of funny. Your body is never going to do that. It's going to be perfect from that point on and forever. So we saw some perks of, of being a child of God, and then there's a responsibility for being a child of God. Uh, verse 3 says, The children of God purify themselves. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now we think about the word hope. The world has its own uh, definition of, of what it means. Um, the world's view of hope is that a wish or a desire for something to happen. Like I could hope that this virus goes away. I could hope that it rains. A kid could say, I hope I get to spend the night at somebody's house or I get to go on vacation to Disneyland or whatever. But those are kinds of things that you don't know if they're going to happen or not. They may, you may get to spend the night. You may not. There's potential is there, but you just don't know. The hope that is used here is a confident expectation that God is going to do what he said he would do. There is no doubt in our minds God's going to do these things. For example, 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, what is God going to do? He's going to forgive us of our sins. He's not going to flip a coin. He's not going to wishy-wash. He says it. He's going to do it. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11. We looked at this uh, the, the Sunday before VBS about God's word is not going to return void. When, when you share God's word with somebody, with your kids online like my wife does, um, from the pulpit like Steve did last week, it is not going to return void. God's going to accomplish something with that. I don't have to ever worry. I don't ever have to wonder. God promises that hope is a confident thing that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Is there any doubt in that? No. If you put your faith in Jesus, I promise you, I guarantee you that you are going to have eternal life, that you are going to be saved. That's the kind of hope. And anybody who has this hope in Jesus, this hope in um and being part of God's family is the person who chooses to purify himself. Purify means to cleanse, make clean, uh, clean uh, morally, to, to clean up my own life. And you know, you, you can look at your own life. Just like I can look at my life and say, you know what? I know exactly where I fail. I know what isn't right in my life. We all have struggles. We all have sins. We have temptations that we can't seem to overcome. We all know what those are. The question isn't, what do you struggle with? The temptation is, how? The question is, what are you going to do about it? And what the funny thing is, you all know what to do about it. Just like I know exactly what to do about it, but am I willing to do it? First thing is, if we confess it, God's willing to forgive it. But to confess it means that I'm agreeing with God that this isn't a good idea, that I don't, that I shouldn't be doing that. That takes a little humility. We all know that we need to confess it and quit doing it. Uh, Matthew verses eight, chapter eighteen, verses eight through nine. We need to eliminate it. If, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your if your um, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. 
Right? This is somebody who's taking very seriously, I got something wrong in my life that I shouldn't do it. I'm going to, it's painful. Right? If you were to take, if I was to take this pen and try to sit here and poke out my eye, I'd probably pass out first. It would be painful. It would hurt. If I took a saw or an axe or something, cut that off, it is going to hurt. Please don't do that. I've heard of people doing that, poking out their eye because they just kept struggling with sin, with a certain sin that involved their eye. And they said, I don't want to do that anymore. It's painful to eliminate those things in my life that cause me to sin. The question is, am I willing to do that? Those who have this hope in heaven and part of being God's family are the person who says, okay, I'm going to make that sacrifice. Jesus already made the ultimate sacrifice for me. I'm going to do that for myself. Painful as it is, that's what I'm going to do. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. There's a song that I know that uh, part of the lyrics is, I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. You know, you don't want to be the person who dies today and looks like they got saved yesterday. You don't expect a big change, right? If I got, if I got saved today and I died tomorrow, I really don't have much time to make my life look better. I don't have enough time to quit doing these certain sins. I look pretty much today like I did yesterday. You don't want to be the guy who dies today who was saved 30 years ago. And there's no difference whatsoever uh, that whole time. You want to be the guy who got saved 30 years ago that looks like he got saved 30 years ago. And my life is drastically different. But the question is, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to purify yourself? You get all the benefits. You get, a, you get perfection. You get heaven. You get a new heavenly body. You have hope that you can rely on and count on that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. But are you, are you interested in the tough part? A little bit of the responsibility of purifying your life and making it right before the Lord. You know, when you think about the biological and the foster kid, you think about a little bit about heaven and becoming part of God's family. God's going to provide everything that we need. The guy in hell, yeah, he sort of gets, he doesn't really get anything. I don't know what you could say that he could provide for somebody in hell. But you look at here, you say it's a permanent arrangement. God's not going to disown me or he's not going to unadopt me. He's not going to say, Josh, you've screwed up enough. I don't want you part of my family. He's going to constantly forgive me. He's, I have a sense of belonging, something that I can rely on and count on, that I have a heavenly father. I'm a child of God. That should excite me. And God's going to treat me like his own kid. He's going to discipline me if I need discipline me. He's going to love me. He's going to provide for me just like you guys provide for your kids or your parents provided for you. God's going to do that for us as well. So if you're here and you say, you know what, I'm not really a child of God, why not? Galatians 3.26, it's through faith in Jesus that you become a child of God. It's very simple. And the funny thing is not everybody's adopted, right? When you, I have biological parents, I was never adopted. I have a sister who's adopted and I don't know anybody in here who's adopted right now. And some people look at that and say, boy, it's a shame that you're adopted. But you know what? When you become part of God's family, everybody's adopted. Nobody was perfect. Everybody needed to do the exact same thing by putting their faith in Jesus. But the only way you get to heaven is by being adopted into God's family through your faith in Him. So if you're not, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not part of His family, ask Him. Say, hey, God, I'd like to be adopted. I want to trust you to get me to heaven so I can enjoy these benefits that you have for me when I get there.
Please help me to live for you. And if you, if you say that I am an adopted child of God, then you, I, I want to encourage you to work better at purifying yourself, to make those tough decisions in your life to say, you know what, I'm not going to do these things anymore. I'm going to walk with Jesus from now on. And just be, be excited, be confident in knowing what you have to look forward to as well. The choice is yours. Be that, bio, that adopted child or be no child at all because that's your only option. I encourage you uh, to trust Jesus as your Savior. I encourage you if you're a child of God that you live like it and that you do your best to share it with other people because God loves those people and wants them to be His adopted children as well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You, God, that You... I feel like took a chance on me. You adopted me to be part of your family. You know that, God, I, I screw up all the time. I have a bad attitude. I, I think things that I shouldn't think, that I struggle with when things don't go my way, God. But you are willing to love me and forgive me and, and keep calling me your own. Thank you for adopting me as your child and not saying that I've had it with Josh. God, I pray for everybody in here that they would, they would sense that belonging uh, for being part of your family if they are truly your child. And if they're not, God, I pray that you would help them to realize that so that they want to turn to you for salvation and to be adopted into your family just like we were. Thank you, God, for your love and for your grace. It's amazing. I don't, I don't know why you do it. I don't know how you do it, but you do it. And I just thank you so much for that. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.